It's the TEH podcast, episode number 171. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So I hear things are kind of warm down there. Yeah, I know a lot of the country right now, but we are flirting with 100 degrees, and I believe it's a record for today. Really? Um, wow. For this date on yeah, the year. And we're still, you know, it's going to be the next two days are still going to be flirting with 100 degrees. So, yeah. And it's September. I mean, yep. we're already yeah. thinking, you know, gosh, is it September already? The weather should be cooling down. But Well, we have in Colorado, we have these things called 14ers. All the peaks that are 14,000 feet or higher. Right. And people try to, do, try to do foolish things like climbing the wall and stuff. And um, there's one, there's two that you can drive to, Pikes Peak. Mm -hmm. And you could drive up Mount Evans, which is soon mm -hmm. to get a new name. But um, and the Mount Evans drive is a little tougher and they close it at the end of the summer and traditionally the right after Labor Day. So the weird news today was that, yeah, the road to Mount Evans is closed, but probably doesn't have to be. It's just interesting. The schedule. Yeah. 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 Huh. For some reason, that just reminded me how many 1400 or how many 14ers are there? No idea. Uh, okay. 20, 10, oh, I don't okay. know. Quite a few, quite a few. Okay. Yeah, enough to be a challenge. And I think there's a few that are like on private land. You have to get uh, permission sure, and there's sure. certain things. And there's others that are very common. People, you know, the others that you can hike, like I could probably do it if I really wanted to. Mm -hmm. And others that require, you know, skill and gear. For some reason, it just of. reminds me of a, a coworker from a, a previous lifetime. I mean, this is actually even pre-Microsoft. Um, he was a big mountain climber and mm -hmm. he and his friends, uh, you know, did all of the prep work to go do Denali um, in Alaska, mm. which, you know, is I think what, 27, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. It's, it's high. It's huge. It's, it's very yeah. high. Um, and, you know, they did that. And, you know, the joke was it was foggy when they got to the top. So they're hoping they actually got the summit and not the false summit or something like that. But yeah. Um, but then they got home and the next weekend, uh, they just went for a walk over Mount Rainier, which is our 14,000 foot um, uh, tallest in, in Washington, uh, where, you know, they were so acclimated to the higher elevations and having done everything in prep for McKinley that or Denali that, um, uh, you know, our stuff was like a piece of cake. So I just have visions of folks like that coming back from some of these really uh, more exhausting excursions, and then just sort of knocking off a few of the 14ers in Colorado for yeah. fun. <laughs> I have, uh, so Denali is 20,310 20, okay. feet, but its base is 2,000 feet, which I think I've heard before makes it um, a, yeah, Everest is 14,000 foot base, 29,000 feet at the peak. So Denali is a higher climb. A longer climb, yeah. Um, I have sense. hiked I have hiked myself, uh, Denali, uh, the, uh, just to be clear, the base of Denali. <laughs> <laughs> so only 18,000 feet short, which is not, not much. I mean, astronomical yep. terms, it's nothing. Yep. Yeah. I was basically there. I could see, I, hey, I could do better than your friend that hiked to the peak and was in fog. I could see the peak. Yeah. <laughs> From further so away. So you, you tell me which one is better. It's more of the accomplishment. Yeah. Anyway, on yes. to some real stuff. So I see TikTok on our list. What's up? Yeah. Well, so yeah, I finally had a, a breakthrough video on TikTok, um, 
which is just kind of interesting, worth noting. After, you know, just putting little one minute tutorials, mostly on iPhone for a while, and sometimes getting one that's like maybe a few thousand views, uh, I posted one on what's coming in iOS 16. And it, and it currently, I posted on Friday, and it's currently at 175,000 views. Oh, wow, cool. Which isn't exactly, you know, fashion, fashionista influencer level, <laughs> but it's still pretty, pretty good. Um, yes. It's, you know, and the funny, I've never had a video on YouTube, for instance, go from zero to 175,000 so fast. Right. I have videos that are well above 175,000, but sure. they take a long time to get there. Yeah, I do too. They're like years to get there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and the, the thing is that it's, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of comments when I, when I'm, you're down at the, you know, few thousand views level, sometimes you get zero comments on those, right. like, and sometimes you'll get like two or three and they're like, you know, somebody just with an emoji, another person saying, oh, interesting or something. Well, at this level, you, I have tons of comments. Um, they're mostly trolls. Really? Which is interesting. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess I've looked in comments on other, uh, other TikTok videos, ones that are not mine, just because I'm curious about something. Somebody's talking about a movie and I'm curious what other people say or whatever. And yeah, I do see a lot of trolls. So I guess it's no, no surprise. Since this is a what's coming in iOS 16 video, um, the trolls are mostly saying that, oh, finally, iPhone's catching up to Android or Android's had this for a long time or something, which is interesting because I'm talking about five different things. And I tried to like figure out like, oh, does Android actually have all five of these things and has had them for years? And the answer, of course, is no. <laughs> <laughs> One of them Android still doesn't have, which is a uh, undo send button on um, text messages. Um, another one I was surprised Android does apparently have a send later for text messages, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and others are like qualified. Like I, I got a few about the lock screen backgrounds, which is a big new feature of iOS 16. You can do some really cool things with them. And there's a lot of cool features, widgets and all of that. Right. And of course, you know, if you boil it down to changing your lock screen picture, then people are saying, oh, Android's had that for 10 years is what people are saying. <laughs> well, it's like, but yeah, the iPhone's had that since the beginning too. It's just that now you could do all these new cool things with it. Right. So, you know, obviously Android users saying, oh, you couldn't do anything with your lock screen before and now you can. And that's like, no, I'm showing like new things. If you're an iPhone user and you see this, you know, oh, you can do new things. Right. I guess if you're an Android user, you don't have any context, which is, brings up the question as to why are Android users even it, watching the video? Sure. If you're curious, watch the video. The commenting is kind of weird. Um, it's not your phone. It's not your thing. It's why you leave a comment like that. Uh, anyway, it's just. Yeah, it's I think that's one weird. of the biggest unanswered questions about the Internet. Mm. <laughs> why well, leave I... a comment like that? Um, and. and you know, there are some people that just want to express some level of superiority to make themselves feel better, even if they are inaccurate, right? Um, because to to their tribe, um, yeah. they will seem accurate because the rest of their tribe, in this case, for example, probably won't know what what the change, what the what the update really is on the iPhone. Um, but yeah, right. yeah, it's and it's, I think their I think their tribe also is imaginary. 
you know, I think you you tend to have a, a, a and it's just for both sides, both sides, right? I think people that think, oh, my tribe are, are iPhone owners. I'm going to make a snide comment here about Android or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's if you think there's a tribe out there of iPhone owners that's going to see your comment and say yes, you know. Um, that's the thing that gets me not. about some of the comments that are left because I, I, you know, I spent a little bit of time on TikTok and there's always a controversy about this comment or that comment, or some of the TikTokers will, you know, take time to actually respond to a comment to basically roast the commenter. Mm. But what amazes me is that how many comments do you say you have on this video now? Oh, well, I can, I can check while, while we're talking here. Let's um, see what the latest. Yeah. So latest. it's, it's thousands, right? Um, even oh, if I'm sorry, guy... I'm at, I'm at 200 and as we speak, I'm at 222,000. Hmm. So it's growing fast. Views. <laughs> yeah. Views. Right. And, and how many, uh, how many comments? Uh, 320 comments. Okay. So you've got 320 comments. Even if the guy has a tribe, whoever yeah. this, this mythical person is, who is going to go through 300 comments? I, know. I mean, I know. When you've hey, got I'm, that many comments, what's the point of commenting? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm grateful because I'm sure the 320 comments are an indicator to TikTok as oh, to, yeah. you know, making it show, you know, which is which is actually something I want to talk about later in this very same episode a little bit. But yeah, the um having controversy is rewarded yes. online. And if your topic is controversial, like let's say it's politics, right? No matter what you're doing, whether it's Twitter or YouTube or, you know, a podcast, you know, the controversy is like, oh, that's a good measure of, you know, how how interesting, how interested people are in this. But when you're doing tech videos, mm-hmm. you we often, both of us have things that are not controversial at all. Here's how to do something. Step one, two, three. There's no controversy. Yeah. <laughs> you want to do this is step one, two, three. But every once in a while, both of us say something like, you should back up you know, using this or, you know, uh, have this type of backup system or whatever it is. And people find controversy in it. And there's some topics that are more than others. And I've usually shied away from doing controversial things. because it's like, oh, people are going to be, but, you know, now sometimes as in today's video, um, a separate thing, I didn't shy away because I was like, yeah, you know, if people complain about what I'm saying here, it'll probably just make the video that much more popular. So right, right. I'll just put on my my chainmail and <laughs> the asbestos underwear <laughs> and take the arrows. Yeah, you just take the arrows, take the heat, and uh, and deal with it. It's so. interesting. I, I think I assume that most trolls who are, and I do honestly consider a lot of this trolling as opposed to someone, um, you know, trying to truly add value to the world. Um, I have to believe that they don't understand how much value they're presenting to us, (laughs) right? As producers, because negative comments are just as valuable in terms of promoting your video or your content um, as the positive ones are. Well, more Um, so. Because they generate a lot more interaction. Exactly. Because if somebody says, oh, good video, thanks, there's that's the end of it. Right. If somebody says, oh, no, Android had this years ago, then maybe somebody else, you know, you could respond. I'm not going to. I'm trying not to on this. But somebody else may respond, which has happened several times already. Mm-hmm. I can see. And it's like, great. get a, Have it. 
if you're going to have a war online, make it in the comment section of one of my videos, please, because, <laughs> you know, nobody benefits. Oh, except me. <laughs> it's weird. Um, it, a lot of the stuff that I post. Um, well, obviously, I mean, you and I both have been doing this for a very long time. So we actually understand that um, just about anything can be controversial to somebody. Yeah. Um, but a, a number of the posts that I make are just, you know, they're like you said, they're they do this, do this, do this. Um, they're not particularly controversial going in. And then somebody will, you know, comment, well, why didn't you do this? Everybody's supposed to do this. Mm. Um, you know, or you completely ignored this. Uh, and, you know, yeah, okay, fine. Where I'm seeing that a lot, uh, one of, I think it might be the most commented on YouTube video I have is one that I published now a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, what's the best long-term storage media? And the mm, yes. uh, people have opinions, as it turns yeah. out. Um, my opinion is that um, everybody's opinion is wrong, and the right solution is to uh, plan on periodically migrating your information forward to I agree. whatever whatever the most appropriate thing for you is. I agree. Um, it's going to be you know better long term. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be whatever. No, and I've got you know there's in I look at it a couple of different ways. There's the paper crowd, right? Who who says paper paper's the way to go. Paper's the only way to go. <laughs> yeah. um, and then there's the uh, the M disk crowd. Uh, which is a, a technology that I actually did not discuss in the video, which apparently is annoying them. It's one of those, well, why didn't you talk about? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, yeah, sure. Comment on that video. I love it. Um, now, I will admit that um, I am sometimes not as good a human being as I should be. <laughs> and I say that because every once in a while, I'll get a disparaging comment. Mm -hmm. and I cannot resist. Yeah. I will, I will, I will take my time. I will craft something that honestly is not really intended for that particular comment. It's intended as entertainment for those who follow. <laughs> and, and it makes me feel better, you know, so to be a little bit snarky sometimes, but, yes. uh, but yes, I, uh, uh, I totally understand that uh, that realm. Yeah, so. it's it's hard to resist sometimes, and sometimes I, I actually got unintentionally in a fight uh, because uh, you know, and this is probably something you can identify with. So I had a video. Maybe I'll make this my self promoted promotion video this week uh, about how you don't need Adobe Reader on your Mac. And the title of the video is "You Probably Don't Need Adobe Reader on Your Mac" because right. I find a lot of people have Adobe Reader. And sometimes they'll ask me a question about it. And I'll just say, why don't you just use preview, preview. for that? Yep. Right. And they'll be like, what is, pre I don't know what preview is. It, <laughs> one of the reasons they don't is because uh, usually they, they go to a website. It says you need Adobe Reader to read this. P it's a PDF. Download Adobe Reader to you know access it, yep. which is something for like 20 years ago, right? We had to put on our websites. And so they do that. And the Adobe Reader immediately sets itself as the default. So from that point on, any PDF that they double click on, it opens an Adobe Reader, and they don't know about the existence of Preview, right. which for 90 plus percent of people's needs yep. uh, is fine for viewing a PDF. Now, not for 100%, which is why the probably is in the title, right? <laughs> um, but uh, And then I also say in the video, you can have both. You know, Change the Adobe Reader so it's not your default app anymore. Use Preview. And if you run into a situation 
where you need it. Like for instance, I found out for, uh, that sewing uh, PDFs for sewing patterns are multi-layered PDFs you know, that you could use, at least it's common. Huh? And that's not handled by preview, it's handled in Adobe Reader. So, hey, there's a situation, right? Yep. You know, one, two percent of the use. Um, another situation is digital signatures. A lot of people want to use like yes. the official Adobe digital signature stuff and you need to use Adobe Reader for that. Well, I had one person comment that, um, yeah, oh yeah, you need Adobe Reader if you're going to use digital signatures. And that was just, that was the comment. It was cool. not a tr troll comment at all, no. except that when I see that, I'm like, oh, I'm always in the, the normal mode. This is the normal video that normal people are viewing and leaving comments. It's like, I got to leave a comment on that saying that, yes, that's the case, but it's very rare that you need digital signatures, right? Just to clarify for everybody else mm -hmm. that that's not something, oh, oh, I didn't know I would need it for, what is a dig digital signature, right? And I said, very rare. For instance, I've never, ever had to sign a PDF with a digital signature, which is true. All my years of computing, not one time. And, you know, thank you, because I always think, hey, I'm a power user. I'm a developer, web developer. I do desktop publishing. I've done books. I'm writing blogs, all this stuff. And it just never happened to me, right? So if you haven't ever needed to sign something with a digital signature, you know, using Adobe Reader, you're not alone. <laughs> Someone like me doesn't have to do it either. Right. That person took offense to that. Mm -hmm. saying why what is what do you have to do with it and it <laughs> yeah you, like just because you don't need it now i should have seen there that they didn't recognize that i was the video creator oh okay right so i shot back hey you know i made the video i i'm just putting my personal experience if me as a super user doesn't ever need to do it odd people won't and there was a back and forth until everything was resolved but it was, uh, you know, it was one of those situations. It's like, I didn't mean to get into a fight. I was just trying to clarify <laughs> for other people. Matter of fact, most of the time, I assume that the original commenter is never going to see my response, but other people will, right? Yes. Yeah. Most of the so, time when we respond to a comment, it's not for the commenter. It's for those that follow. For yeah. everybody else who's reading and looking for, oh, well, that's, huh, that's something that Gary didn't mention, digital signatures. Oh, well, now Gary does mention digital signatures in the reply to that comment comment. Right. Perfect. Right. Anyway, for some reason, as I just have this need to take this a little bit um, further off into the weeds. Yeah. When you it. say digital signature. Yeah. Which uh, kind do you mean? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> as I said, I've never had to do it. I uh, assume it's it's the it's an Adobe reader. If there's there's an option, maybe so various kinds. I don't know. What I end up using Adobe for, I mean, I, I've got Adobe Creative Cloud, so I've got Photoshop yeah. and all the other stuff. So I happen to have, you know, the the uh, the pro version of Adobe uh, Reader, and yeah. you could do all sorts of interesting things with it, including modifying the PDFs to a certain degree. I, digital signatures to me is an ambiguous term because, yeah. on one hand, it is a cryptographic signature. And you've probably used services like DocuSign. Um, yes. That's one yeah. that I've used frequently. Um, and that's what it is. It's a digital signature that they somehow associate with you or your email address. And they even uh, let you put um, interesting little uh, um, images of a signature that is not in your handwriting onto the document to indicate that you have read that particular piece or whatever. Uh, so that's one kind of digital signature. Yeah. What I find myself using more often is the other kind. That's the kind where, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, I scanned my signature and mm. I made a, um, a PDF, I'm sorry, oh, a yeah. PNG no, with, not with transparency. Not that kind. 
That ah. kind is handled by preview and there's a whole function built into it. And I even talked about it in a video. Excellent. This Excellent. is this is not, yeah, not a a written signature digitized, but right. an actual digital signature cryptographic thing. Cryptographically, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand just how easy it is um to do the um digitized signature version of a signature on digital documents. Uh, because um if 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 we truly understood how easy it was mm -hmm. to grab someone else's signature, mm -hmm. create a digital version of it, and then slap it on a contract in a PDF form, um, we would drop the whole concept entirely, I guess. I know um, it's a kind of a silly concept. Uh, I mean, it all comes down to the to the fact that if it's challenged, mm -hmm. then, you know, is that your signature? No, I did not sign that document. Or Correct. yes, I did sign that document. And you get to choose. <laughs> it, and you get to choose, but you know, it comes down to if you did sign the document and they ask you and you say no, you're lying. Right. right. And that's, that's well, it depends on your really definition comes. of sign. Well, you know, but you know, I'm <laughs> no, I, I'm you're I, lying. I, I mean lawyers lawyers love this stuff, right? What's the definition of sign? I did not hold a pen to a piece of paper and write out my signature. Yeah. Is this is, is did you approve this document? You know, and, and yeah, it, yeah. it comes down you're trying you're trying to be deceitful, trying to be misleading, yes. you're all yep. that stuff. Yep. If you want to go there, that's open to you. But yes. hopefully, uh, you know, and, and a regular signature was before this, you know, when it was paper and pen, it was easy to forge somebody's signature. But once again, if you actually signed it and then in a legal uh, situation, you were asked, "Is did you sign this document? Is this your signature? You know, and you say no, and it really was, then you're lying. And now you're in a whole different territory and you're, you're actually uh, conning at that yes. point. <laughs> yeah. yep. So yep. if you want to go there, go, you can go there. But if you... And, and for the record, Don't. public publicly, yeah. uh, my intentions are always above board. Um, exactly. Even, even when I sign things on behalf of my wife. Well, and I think most, <laughs> yeah, you're really, most people are, I, I think are, and then also you have to realize too, that you up the stakes, right? If it's like, oh, here's a document that you signed, you're in court or something. Did you sign this document? No, I didn't. Okay. Now, not only are you guilty of whatever it is you're dealing with but you've also lied right in court or something so you know you're upping the stakes yeah. um which a lot of people of course even if they would love to get away with something maybe aren't willing to risk it this know. is one That's of the reasons that, welcome to legal cast yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the reasons that i always cracked me up that so many places rely so heavily on faxes um, yeah yeah because faxes have exactly the same problem um, it's just a picture of a document and you can manipulate the picture however you like. Yep. Anyway, onward. So we yes. had someone comment on last week, I think it was last week's episode where we talked about bootcamp and I thought it was interesting to, to dive in a little bit more. Um, just I'll read what, um, what this person commented, particularly interested in your comments about running windows and bootcamp. I've been doing that for several years now. Currently, I'm using the last edition MacBook Air with an Intel processor, and I'm currently running Ventura Beta on the Mac side and very successfully running Windows 11 in Bootcamp. Both run flawlessly. Yeah. Um, my reaction to that is you and I both are running Windows in Bootcamp mm -hmm. um, in, in a couple of different flavors. And um, yeah, both run flawlessly. Um, it's actually uh, a pretty interesting approach to getting... Um, 
getting Windows on the Mac. And I'm kind of sad to see it go, to be honest, uh, since that's not going to be something on the M1 and M2 processors. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could, you know, as we talked about before, it could be if everybody wanted it. Um, as, a boot, being as a boot camp scenario? Yeah, well, oh, that's a good point. I, I think, I don't think it needs to be boot camp anymore. Because even, yeah, I think moving forward, like, I think the solution could be totally virtualization. Right. You know, uh, the I haven't played around with the virtualization on the the new Macs, the M1, M2 Macs, mm -hmm. but they're built for that, like mm -hmm. from the Mac and, you know, Linux standpoint, um, much more so than, you know, Intel, you know, the Intel versions of Macs were. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think bootcamp would be, I think if everybody wanted to, they could have nice virtually running Windows, you know, which running, uh, you know, in a, a virtual machine that would run just as well as if it was actually running in a boot camp situation. Um, but it's not, you know, as we talked about before, I don't want to rehash that again. It's, it's probably not going to happen, <laughs> but you know, it is, it does work. Mine is an older machine. Mine's a 2016 Intel, but a MacBook pro, but the low end MacBook pro um, I, uh, and I have been running it, you know, mostly to play a game. And I do have to say that the fans, kick up full steam when I'm running the game um, on this. A MacBook Air doesn't have fans, which is interesting. If it'll instead throttle the processor, interesting. keep it cool. So, but then again, the commenter didn't mention, you know, running a game. I mean, I think if I just went into Windows and was just browsing the web and doing like normal computer work, mm -hmm. uh, it, it would be a whole different situation. So you probably virtualize in that scenario. No, no, no. I'm saying I wouldn't need the fans, like the, ah, the okay, problem gotcha. with the fans yep. and the yep, yep, yep. and the MacBook Air. And then of course, also, you know, if you're talking about like a 2019 MacBook Air versus a 2016 uh MacBook Pro low end, uh, because I think mine's an I is, is it I five? I think that's what's in this one. I'm not sure. I've got I'm looking at my I've remoted over to my uh, uh my MacBook Air. It was my wife's old machine for a long time um, that I now have running Windows 10. And um, I'm not seeing what edition of, or what what um, era of MacBook it is anywhere easily. Yeah, I don't know where to find that on the Windows. Windows side. Yeah, on the <laughs> Windows side, it's it's well hidden. The little uh, bootcamp um, notification area icon gives you some interesting stuff on, you know, this is how you change back to Mac and a few options, but it doesn't mm. give me the information about just exactly what kind of a Mac I've got here. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, the bottom line for the person asking the question is, yeah, we basically said a lot of good things about it last week. And we would certainly say the, uh, uh, the same kind of things about it this week. It's uh, uh, yeah, a Mac makes a really good windows machine. If you yeah. need it to be a windows machine. Exactly. Yeah. There's going to be a big uh, rush for those last Intel Macs when they're in the refurbished store <laughs> before be, they sell out. And that's the only other thing that has me, I don't know, I'm not sure if I should be worried about it or, or not, but um, like any like anything, um, at yeah. some point, Apple is going to stop supporting all of the x86 um, yeah. uh, machines. And by support, I mean, not just that they're not going to be making and selling them anymore, but they're literally not going to be providing any new software for them at some point. Right, the next Mac OS won't have it. Now we're still not even counting down yet because they still technically have a couple of Intel machines. Yes. That they sell and Mac OS Ventura is coming out uh, next month. 
-hmm. And so technically Mac OS, you know, Ventura, there's, it's still new for Intel. Mm -hmm. So depending, you know, a lot of people trying to say, well, it's probably only going to be three or four more years. Other people say, no, they're going to do it for at least five years after they finish producing the last Intel. Right. There's other, other predictions are like, you know, the new Mac pros the you know, the full big towers, they might just be Intel. Because the thing about the M1 or M2 is there's no, you know, the GPU is on the chip. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have something for really high-end video production, you want to have that, you know, NVIDIA, you know, video card or whatever going on right, there. Right, and right. so, which means you're going to need an Intel processor, which means that maybe the Mac Pros would just still be Intel. And Apple would just say, yeah, no, no sweat. We'll just keep producing the operating system and our standard apps for both, um, you know, for the foreseeable future and keep right. producing at least one machine that's still Intel. It tech, it's not, it wouldn't be a huge deal if Apple would do that. I mean, how much would it really cost them extra, you know, to keep going? They have everything. Well, I'm sure that that cost is, is weighed against the, uh, uh, you know, the revenue stream that they're generating from the machines they'll, that they'll keep making. Yeah, I mean, like, um, it'll help keep the older machines, still using the latest operating systems it will allow give them options for the mac pro um you know the only thing i can think of is if they introduced a new api like a completely new thing you know like uh, uh who knows the ability that you could smell through your computer right a little sensor <laughs> and now it produces an odor and they have to produce like the smell kit you know everything's you know ar kit and you know video kit and all this so it's smell kit and they had, oh, we have to produce smell kit. Should we produce smell kit for uh, the Intel machines also? That's going to take a few extra weeks to actually, you know, have that code. Um, but I'm you know, besides that, running through all sorts of interesting comments that trolls would be leaving on those statements. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the other thing that I, I suddenly realized though is that you know what, it doesn't really matter if they leave, um, if at some point they stop supporting x86 in Mac OS because when you're running it in boot camp. You're not running back OS. But they have to support, they still have to come out with bootcamp. Bootcamp boot itself. drivers, yes. And and, and, in, and the firmware on the machine. Which is interesting because in the last month or two, they have come up with not one, but two updates to bootcamp. So a lot of the a lot of the naysayers that have said that, oh, Apple's so done with bootcamp kind of got like, oh, Apple just came out with two updates to bootcamp. Right. I mean, there's some teams still working on producing updates to bootcamp um, to fix bugs and update firmware and stuff. So yeah, so who knows? It could be one of those legacy things that, you know, there's just a couple of developers that actually work on other stuff that still have as one of their tasks, keeping bootcamp updated for years to come. Yeah, what a job. Mm -hmm. Yep. All righty. So you had something else that sounded that was a yeah. little controversial? Well, yeah, so my controversial video uh, uh, that I have out today, actually, the day we're recording this, is I get a lot, I've gotten a lot of people recently saying they bought a, a, an external screen for their Mac. You know, they got a Mac mini and they got an external screen or they got a second screen for their MacBook Pro. And you go to the store or you look online and you want to buy a computer screen and you want a deal. You want something that people seem to like, but it's a good deal. Oh, this screen seems to be well-liked. You buy it, you plug it into your Mac and you find things are less than optimal. It's because there are two main screens that are like good deals that you can get. One, of course, is one you and I are very familiar with, is the 4K screen. 
right? Lots of good 4K screens. But the other one is the 1440 screen. The 1440 screen is loved by gamers, partially because when it came out, it was like better than anything else. <laughs> but it's stayed really favorable by gamers. There's less pixels, half the number of pixels in a 1440 screen as a 4K screen. Right. Which means the GPU can like focus on like frame rates and anti-aliasing and all sorts of other cool stuff instead of having to, you know, worry about twice as many pixels. Um, the screens are like still the same size, 27 inch screens, for instance. Um, and uh, and they can have really good brightness and blacker blacks and bright, you know, whiter whites and all that stuff. But that does mean there's a lot of good like $200, $250 screens out there that are $1440. You grab one of those, you plug your Mac in, and you find out it's not great. The reason it's not great is because Windows and Mac are very different in this respect. And Windows, I'm seeing right now firsthand, thanks to this whole boot camp thing we were just talking about, that in Windows, you can set a scaling. You could say, show me everything at 150%. Yes. You know, show me everything at 125%, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you want. Macs don't do that. Macs have a resolution you choose. And if you have a screen, say a 4K screen, you can choose the standard resolution, which would be to use 4K, which is 3,840 pixels across, use it as 1920 across. Right. It's still going to use all of the pixels, but it's going to do what Apple calls retina, right? The interface is going to be drawn as if you have a screen 1920 across, but you have the depth of pixels, basically a group of four pixels equals the one virtual pixel there. Right. So images, lines drawn for things like fonts are going to use all those extra pixels to look sharp, to clear, you know, to look high resolution. And the interface will be drawn for 1920 across. It's the same thing as what Windows is doing. Just Windows calls it, a percentage for the interface. Um, and it confuses a lot of Mac users uh, because if you get a 1440 screen, 1440 screen is 2560 across. If you set it up on your Mac, Mac's just, Apple just does not take these screens into account at all, really. So you plug one of these screens in and it will show everything as if it's 2560 across. So think about that, a 1440 screen is 1920 across, but at same size screen for 1440 is 2560 across. So everything is smaller. The menus at the top are smaller. The buttons and interface are smaller. The dock at the bottom is smaller. Everything's smaller. And to make it worse, there's no retina there at all. One pixel is one pixel now. Right. So suddenly pe people who don't have perfect vision <laughs> It's like hard to read stuff. It's mm -hmm. like, why are the menus so small? I can barely see the file, file edit, whatever at the top. It's like so tiny up there. Um, you know, and people with a really good vision, particularly young people, don't see the problem typically. Right. We're like, what are you talking about? You see it perfectly fine. I like it. It's small. I can fit more into the screen. Whereas, you know, they'll eventually find out they get older and they, they can't read that. But in a, and plenty of young people also don't have perfect vision and can't read it. So what do you do? You uh, you look into it and you say, oh, I'd like to, uh, I need to use this as a retina display. Well, as a retina display, it's going to be eight, uh, 1280, 1280 by 720 to get those four pixels into one virtual pixel. Suddenly everything's way too big, right? Those menus at the top of the screen are way too big and everything's too big. 
it's still using the same number of pixels. It's just the interface is too big. So right. the 1440 screens on Macs, really for most people, it's either everything's too small or everything's too big. It'd be great if you could have something right in the middle. Right. That's 4K. 4K, you have 1920 across, which is right between having 1280 and 2560. Except that it's now 4K screen with twice as many pixels. So not only do you have the you know the middle spot between having the 1440 screen and you know the full resolution, you know, mm -hmm. the full resolution 1440 and the half resolution 1440, but you have twice as many pixels to render it, so it looks so much nicer. So it's to me, it's the sweet spot. It's what Apple is thinking when they say get an external monitor for your Mac Mini get a second monitor for your MacBook Pro. The 4K screen is what people are, you know, is what Apple's really saying. I've tried it. I have many. I have a whole little graveyard of, of uh, 4K screens because I keep getting nicer ones and better ones. And and then, of course, I bought one about six months before I got my studio display that sitting there in the corner and looking all sad. And they're, they work great. Yep. Um, it's what I recommend, and I'm trying to tell people, don't buy a 1440 for your Mac. Buy a 4K screen for your Mac. And uh, and yeah, so I think it's solid device. A lot of people agree. But of course, then there's some uh, pushback on that. People saying they love their 1440 screen. It looks fine to them. And I'm sure it does look fine to some people. Um, and If it looks and then, good to you, congratulations. And then yeah. other people, and, and I had an interesting comment. One person say, well, I'm actually not using it at any of those resolutions. I have a 1440 screen. I'm using it at something in between the 1280 and the uh, you know 2560. Uh -huh. And I said, great. But you realize if you had a 4K screen, you could do that same resolution and have twice as many pixels that you'd be seeing. So you could stick with that resolution with the 4K screen. Everything would just be sharper. Right. So it's basically a 2K versus a 4K screen, because that's what 1440 is. It's basically 2K. Um, and the other thing is, is that stuff like um, when you're looking at documents, like it's a word processing document or an image, like a photograph, you're looking at everything scaled anyway. Right. Sure. You're not, you're rarely, does anybody editing a word processing document or an image at 100%. You're looking at it as some fraction of that or yep. some exp, you know expansion like editing your word processing document at 125 or 150 percent um those are just you know at that point you're just scaling everything anyway and all the stuff like the fonts and the image itself that is scaling to whatever it is you want so it's irrelevant what you actually have your screen set to inside that document it's only the interface elements like the menu it's only, it's and only the, the buttons Right. Stuff like that. That's right. what is actually being affected by all this. The the photograph you're editing is using 100% of the pixels, no matter what you're doing. The um, um, and this is particularly true since so many people are spending time in their browsers these days. Um, scaling in your browser is so incredibly easy. Yes. Oh yeah, that's another one. It's text. It's images. Yep. It's you know. It used to be yeah. If you wanted to go back to say 2002, there were people putting you know, graphics, bitmap graphics on web pages. And if you scaled it, you could see that. A mm -hmm. long time ago, um, Apple and, you know, I'm sure Microsoft and Google certainly started encouraging people who develop websites to have higher resolution images, yes. uh, higher resolution graphics. And there was a big push towards that. I remember it was a bit of annoy annoyance at first, but then software like WordPress started to catch up. 
Right. And like software like WordPress will say, hey, we'll just take care of it. Give us your photo. We'll scale it. We'll figure it out. And mm -hmm. and then, you know, but yeah, old school like us, we had to be like, oh, I need a 200 by 15 narrow banner at the top that was, you know, this many pixels. And then with this palette, you know, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, and which is great. That does mean that you can go and look in your web browser and say, oh, that page is a little small. Let me scale it up. And um, it won't, it'll look better. It'll be bigger, but it'll be flawless. It won't actually change the page like it would 20 years ago. So a question, um, yeah. the percentage, the, the, um, a scaling that's available in windows yeah. has only been presented that way since windows 10. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's the right way to do things, but in the mm -hmm. past, with previous versions of Windows, the other thing one would do is to go into some of the advanced settings, and it was often video card driver specific. Mm -hmm. um, you could change the dots per inch. You could change the DPI. Yeah. Uh, to essentially the same effect. So what I'm hearing is that um, uh, Macs don't and never have had that level of granularity uh, for well, display. Well, they do. I, I, in a way, Apple's uh, you know Macs are still doing that. But they don't, you know, necessarily for like the regular user, they don't look, it doesn't look like that. Like if I go to the displays, uh, you know, uh, system preferences mm -hmm. and I, you know, change the display settings, it's going to want me to go default for display, which is where people are running into trouble with the 1440 because that's going to be everything's too small. Right. So then you say scaled and, you know, what it's going to show you is, oh, larger text, more space or the default in the middle. And you choose which one of these five you want. If you hover over one of those, you actually do get a little pixel resolution, you know, 1600 by 900 or, you know, 2560 by 1440, you know, whatever it is. So, right. But it doesn't let you choose an arbitrary resolution. It doesn't. And one of the things I talk about in that video is using software like the one I use is called Switch Res X, but there's others there too, where you actually can go in and then you know, okay. say, no, I want it to be this very specific resolution. That's actually uh, something I use, say, if, uh, on my MacBook, if I want to make a video yes. using my MacBook screen, which is not 16 by 9, but 16 by 10. Right. I remember uh, you telling me this Videos are 16 ago. by yeah. 9. Yeah, I, for yep. I use Switch Res X to force it to do it as 16 by 9. And I just have black bars at the top and the bottom, but I can make, you know, videos on that machine. Um, if I need to, whereas on my Mac studio, I'm, I'm using the studio display, which is 16 by nine. And before right. that, I was using a 4k display, 16 by nine, right. and it matches perfectly. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Cool. Interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's, it is definitely one of the areas that windows has gotten better at, uh, at least presenting to the users. To be able I think, to do it that. Does, I think it is. I think windows is better than Mac at presenting it with that percentage. Like I wish that was right. Something I, because I recognize that, hey, there are certain specific things that change size and everything else is relative. Yep. And it would be great to actually have a control where I could just say, I want all of those things yep. to be at 115%. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and it's funny because I just, um, I revved, updated an article on that very, that specific control just, I think last week or thereabouts. Um, it's a very common thing, especially for, uh, as you pointed out, people, as they get older, um, the eyesight isn't quite what it used to be. And especially uh, with these incredibly high resolution screens, uh, 4k or even better. Um, if you're literally just doing it, um, you know, one pixel 
per pixel kind of a scenario. Mm -hmm. You can cram a lot on that screen, but it gets really, really small. Yeah. So. And I used to be, I used to be one of those yep. when I was in my twenties. I mean, if I, I think I had a tiny, tiny, uh, one of the early LCD screens, it was made by, oh, some company made this one of the first LCD screens and I bought it and God, the thing must have been like 15 inches and it was, it was like 1600 by 900 pixels. Um, and I used it at full res, you know, regular resolution there. Mm -hmm. There was no real option to do it. It used a special video card and everything. It was so ridiculous, but everything was really tiny mm -hmm. on it. But I was in my like late twenties. Yep. I, you know, it was like, yep, yeah, I could see it all. I want no more problem. pixels. I want it to be smaller. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, but that's probably why I'm, yeah, have bad vision now because I was doing that. Winting that entire time. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Or so I'm no, told okay. anyway. It's funny. I um, did not use glasses until I turned forty, and uh, it was. Um, coincidentally, uh, the exact same for both of my parents. So I think mm. that it's just one of those really strong gen genetic components. So ah, okay. don't let people, uh, you know, go and squint all you want. Squint. You'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah. artificial intelligence and art. Yeah. That's I, a hot topic right now. It's, it's an incredibly hot topic, and it got hotter in a very strange way. Um, I think we've all at least run across these examples of uh, you know, the, these tools where you can tell your, some artificial intelligence, um, you know, draw me a corgi on a mountaintop and it will do that. It will come up with some kind of a painting that, you know, somehow looks like um, a corgi on a mountaintop. Yeah. Um, it's often um, best viewed as abstract art. It is most certainly not photorealistic depending on the, uh, uh, and how abstract it is really depends on the sophistication of the AI, but it's, um, but it's definitely a thing and it's definitely interesting. So the article that I ran across was that um, at, of all things, I think it's the Colorado State Fair, um, an AI generated wow. image won an art competition against, you know, competing against real people and real mm -hmm. people are upset, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're oh, they, real people. They, they are concerned or, or somehow think it's unfair that um, artificial intelligence uh, can compete against them. And yet it did. And it won. Um, the link that I've got for this is to the New York Times. Obviously, it'll be in the show notes, but it actually includes an image, uh, you know, a, a copy or a picture of the image. And yeah, it's, it's art. Um, it looks like the kind of a thing a person could have created. Uh, one of the better AI generated things that I've seen so far, but uh, it does definitely raise a number of random issues with respect to, uh, to AI. Yeah. Um, you know, on various platforms, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or whatever, I'm seeing a lot of these art images uh, created by, and I tried it myself. Have you tried it? I don't have I've, all the ones that I've tried to access have a waiting list. So I don't have access to I, any of I them. I did. Right yeah. I just was persistent looking for one that had, you know, had a waiting list that was kind of instant, you know, yeah. and I, I don't know, it's probably not the best one. Right. But you were able to feed it a couple of little, you know, on the free level, you could feed it like three an hour or something like that. It would mm -hmm. give you, and it'd give you a really tiny graphic, like right. not high resolution. Um, but just, I wanted to play with it and sure. see, 
And it is interesting. I wonder, I wonder that State Fair, how it worked, because what I'm getting from a lot of this, like stuff that people are posting about using these is that they're, they're feeding in all these keywords or a sentence or whatever, and they generate something and they try over and over again to try to get something they like. Mm-hmm which isn't really fair. <laughs> it's because it makes it sound like, oh, I just told the AI to, like you said, you know, a Corgi and a Sunset or whatever. Mm-hmm. And boom, there it was. First try, done. Print that. I want it as a picture on my wall. You know, um, no, you, most of the stuff you see online is people trying over and over again and customizing it. And it's kind of neat because you can get predictable results. Uh, so if you find a good combination of things, mm-hmm. you can then go back and say, oh, look what I get if I type this stuff in. And forget about all of the time it took to come up with the perfect thing to ask this particular AI. It's not really an AI. I I, I don't even like using that term because it's machine learning. It's machine learning. Machine yeah. Learning algorithm. It's not AI. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it is AI. AI is such a broad term right now, but you know, it makes it sound like the computer is actually thinking and coming up with something in its imagination. And it's just taking a bunch of data and combining it in really interesting ways um, to create, in this case, an image. Um, but you know, I, I, that's where I have a, I wonder with that, like state fair, if it was the kind of thing where somebody, you sat there and you said, oh, okay. And you just tried 57 different combinations. So you found something that you thought was good. And then you submitted that as the but, but, painting. Okay. Yeah. To, to, so to take a different point, how is that any different than a real artist? They don't, paint one, they don't paint one picture and submit it and whip. Right. They spend, they, yeah. they, they paint lots and lots of pictures until they come up with the technique they like, the images they like, the, 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 the emotions that evo- evokes that they like, um, and they submit their best work. Um, I guess, but then, but then here's the, di- the, the difference is, or there, the difference is there is no difference. There's a human saying 57 times, Yeah, here's the different things I want to try. It's not like they sat the computer down you know, there's a row of like 12 artists with easels and the 13th one is a computer. And then somebody at the front of the room said, everybody's going to draw flowers and we're going to see who wins this competition. You know, somebody has to sit down at the computer and say, oh, uh, flowers in a field, you know, and type that out and try something. There's a human there, right? The computer isn't doing it on its own. Right. Somebody is trying, and if flowers in a field turned up something that, nah, that's not going to win. They tried something else roses and daffodils in a field blue sky uh you know etc mountains in the background whatever it is and they kept going and so there is still that human involvement now is that right? human an artist is that human an artist it, yes but maybe they don't deserve as much credit as the artist that actually put the work in. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I, you know my, my take on it is that um uh, competition a head-to-head mm-hmm. competition between humans and AI is probably not what you want to have happening at your state fair. Yeah. However, you got um, a headline, so maybe it is what they want. Yeah. Um, however, uh, the AI version of this, yes, that person is an artist because they were they were painting with words, yeah, rather than sure um, uh, paint and sure. It took them time to craft the appropriate string of words to generate the desired output. Well, I mean, what if you took like, what if one artist had the basic elements for paint and had to like mix their paints, but another artist was given a full set of colors 
-hmm. and brushes, you know, and it would be like, oh, they've got an advantage. They already have their paint ready and I don't. Um, so it's the same. It's like the tools you're using different tools. Like, okay. It, it, the tools an artist uses are important. You know, if you have a sculptor has a different set of tools from a painter and a painter, there might be two painters that use totally different types of canvases and paints and things like that. And maybe having a competition, you would have it. Okay. This is going to be a competition for painting of this kind and this kind mm -hmm. of canvas and all that. Mm -hmm. In, in this case, the, person typing things typing the words is using an extremely different canvas you yes. know and so maybe that's where the separation is not that that person that art isn't valid and not that it doesn't look pretty because that's all subjective anyway and if some people think it looks pretty then it does look pretty right. but you you have to divide by the tools and you don't want to have a you know one if one person sits down and says you're going to draw with uh pen and ink and you're and the other person is going to draw with colors and the and the subject is beautiful colorful flowers then it's going to be like oh the person with the colors is probably going to win <laughs> so you know, all i have is one pen it's the same kind of thing with the computer it's like all they got to do is type and it's going to generate something that and let's be clear one of the things about this is these ais are good at certain types of painting right there's certain types of art that look good. Mm -hmm. If I said picture of my, you know, picture of me, picture of Gary Rosenzweig, right? It's probably going to suck. <laughs> if I want, <laughs> if what I want is a, is a somebody who actually drawing a portrait, like an old fashioned, sure. you know, you wanted to have a portrait drawn of yourself and you want it to be, you know, realistic. But AI is going to get there. Maybe. I mean, I guess that's called a photograph, but the, the <laughs> a digital photograph. But, you know, the thing is that it's like right now, AI does all this cool stuff. And mm -hmm. if you if you use that canvas the right way, like it creates really good, dreamy, surrealistic paintings. So if you want a good, dreamy, surrealistic painting. Yeah, you could really do that here. But if you go and say, oh, I don't want dreamy and, uh, and surrealistic, I want you know, realistic, whatever, you know, a whole bunch of other adjectives. And then so, AI might be out of luck because it's like, yeah, it just doesn't create that kind of stuff right now. I want to, I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction. And, okay. And, um, let's talk about dog shows for a minute. Okay. Uh, the way that, because I've, I've attended a few. Um, I've seen the movie Best in Show. That's uh, um, everything I know about dog shows. I assume it's, it's, it's extremely accurate. Like it's a it's, documentary, isn't it? It's it's more of a documentary than I think they intended. Um, <laughs> when you actually understand what really happens at dog shows, it's not too far off base. Anyway, in dog shows, what ends up happening is you have subgroups. Uh, for example, within corgis, um, they will have, you know, all the ones that are under a year, all the ones that are uh, veterans, they'll have, they'll slice and dice the, the, the breed several different ways, Yeah, have competitions, pick winners in each one of those, but then it'll bubble up. It's kind of a tree. And at some point there'll be, um, the best corgi at that particular show, but then it bubbles up further. I mean, so far you're comparing corgis against corgis, and that actually kind of sort of makes sense because the standard is the same. You know, they all should follow a certain set of guidelines. But all of a sudden, then the next level up, you get to generally the herding group, where all of a sudden you're comparing corgis and German shepherds and um, uh, you know um, uh, cattle dogs and who knows what all. 
that really starts to feel like you're comparing apples and oranges. You get to the next level up, best in show, where yeah. the winner from these different subgroups, herding mm. and working and Terry and you know, all the different groups, um, mm. all of a sudden they're all competing against each other. And these are like completely different dogs. Mm. Um, but they still pick a winner. In a mm. sense, that's kind of what I would expect the structure of art competition, I guess it's a competition at the state yeah. fair to kind of sort of turn into where you begin by comparing apples to apples. But eventually, depending on how far you want to take it, uh, you do end up having to compare some apples to oranges and deciding which one, you know, this apple is a better apple than that orange is an orange. Um, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it gets weirder because I don't think they actually do that at most state fairs. Um, most of the competition is segregated into the various classes and they don't step outside of their class. The best example I can give you is that I suspect that the photography winners mm. are not put in any kind of a competition with the painting winners. Yeah. And yet they are both still visual art, right? Yeah. Um, it seems almost like AI generated art in this form is almost a third class. It's it's not really painting, it's not really photograph, but it's kind of sort of like both. Um, and maybe it just needs its own its own category to move forward. And I honestly do believe that yes, at some point AI uh, or machine learning will be able to do. Um, I'll just go ahead and call it photorealistic uh, images, uh, which is why this bridge between um, hand painted art and photography art um, gets really, really muddy when you've got this this technology in the middle. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, when we get to AI being able to create photorealistic images, you know, from some text. Um, how long that takes? Because you know, the whole massive field of AI has this thing where we're really bad at predicting how long it takes to figure it out. Like, no you know, kidding. for instance, in the 80s, plenty of people were convinced we were just a few years away from a machine that, you know, was artificially intelligent. Right. And then in, and then in the 90s, that was revised to uh, decades, maybe never, you know. <laughs> and, you know, so that was how far off people were. And this is that kind of thing, too. And I think also for like chess and for Go and all that, there was a lot of like wrong predictions about how long it would take to get to a certain level. So this could be the kind of thing where, yeah, there are a few tweaks away from you being able to say, create a you know picture of a sunset, mountains, et cetera, et cetera. And then it looks like it's a photograph mm -hmm. or it looks like it was painted by a human mm -hmm. to be realistic. That could be just a few little tweaks away or it could be 400 years away. You know, we could <laughs> need like, you know, deep quantum computing to be able to get that. We don't well, know where we're, where we're at to get but to we have. We have some clues, we have some hints, because there are um, services right now that will generate photographs of people that didn't exist or that don't exist, right? There are yeah. these there are these synthetic um, images uh, that look like photographs. They look like people, but they were not photographs of people. They were generated by a machine. I think the two problems with that are, um, well, number one, is there still that human thing there? I think the idea is it generates lots of things and then the, the humans go and pick yes. out, hey, this yes. one looks really good. 
Um, but that's the essence of machine learning, right? As yeah. long as that information makes it way its way back into the to the algorithm or the machines doing it, that's exactly what machine learning is all machine learning is all about. Right, and I think it's you know the data. You know, the machine learning comes from the data. And I think if you say we're going to feed in a million pictures of people, that's it. Just people, just faces, you know, their or heads or whatever it was, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's very specific. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going more general to every kind of scenery and lighting and objects oh, and totally. animals and, you know, it's a different order of magnitude. Yeah. It, you know, order of magnitude gets big. So I think, yeah, being able to do things very specifically, like generating people's heads of fake people that never existed from a source of millions of photographs of people's heads um that's going to be a lot easier to do and we don't know is that how many steps between that and being able to ask for anything is right. that two years right. or 200 years yep you know when do we yep. get there we don't know don't know but it's, it's interesting I, yeah. I do like it i mean hey yeah. you know i have to admit i you know, am i playing around with that i saved the one image i saved and it's a tiny little image but i look at it and i say that is really that's a nice i think it's a sailboat with a sunset is what i asked for and a few mm -hmm. other terms and it looks really interesting it's very surreal mm -hmm. but pretty not you know it's that whole uh what's that uh i mean we applied it to robots the valley the uh Oh, the uncanny valley. Uncanny valley, yeah. In you know, applying that applying that to a broader term, it doesn't hit the uncanny valley where it, you look at it and it's like, oh, that's a disturbing picture of a sailboat in a sunset. <laughs> it's a pretty. It, it it hits outside the uncanny valley, and it says, oh no, I could see somebody painting that and just wanting to use bright colors and make it be kind of like an impressionist surrealistic thing. It looks pretty. So I think art has a lot more leeway in that regard um, when well, you're talking about things that aren't human. Point. That's yeah. another point. Yes, you do. It, it, having an AI create something that you can call art is mm -hmm. a very big difference between having an AI create something that is a photo or video. Yeah, or intended to be um, intended to realistic. Be yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Um, uh, I well, this is a great kind of a good segue into um ain't it cool yeah because um one thing i wasn't uh, i hadn't planned on mentioning but now they brought it up uh, are you watching she hulk i i've watched the first two episodes okay and yeah okay. what do you what do you think um it's fun i mean it's it's certainly yeah. you know it, it's it, it's fun and it's supposed to be fun right it's it's like they're they're doing the appropriate level of not taking themselves too seriously and i happen to um, absolutely love uh, the actress tatiana um i forget her last name now yeah. but um she was on she was the main character in orphan black and she's an incredibly incredibly talented actress mm -hmm. um, in orphan black she basically played multiple different characters who were all dramatically different from one another and she just pulled that off amazingly well anyway i believe she won awards and everything for that probably yeah. yep mm -hmm. um so yeah as a side note orphan black if you haven't seen it highly recommended the um back to she hulk for a moment what I have noticed, however, is that clearly when she's in She-Hulk form. Yeah, I, I think I know what you're going to say. It's okay. Yep, that's CGI. I can tell yep. that it's CGI. Yep. Yeah, not because there are not huge green people, but mm. because that huge green person doesn't look quite natural. Um, and, you know, being a, a what is it, a, an eight-part or a ten-part 
television series as opposed to a million dollar blockbuster movie franchise yeah. um they probably don't have the budget to to bring you know the big computers to bear <laughs> right yeah. but um you know it's it's doing a, a an acceptable job with it but it is one of those things that yeah just kind of sort of notice and it made me think of you know when you mentioned uncanny valley it's like yeah yeah we're, we're right kind of there it's not creepy it's just it ain't I, quite, it ain't quite I almost right. felt like there was a frame rate issue i don't know it, it, to me it wasn't so much that the look because because mm -hmm. i noticed if i paused mm -hmm. looked fine it was the animation it looked a little it, it was just there's a little tickle in my brain saying that's computer animation there it may that's just like be an animated thing yeah, it may just be that they don't have the movements down to be natural enough. I would assume that they're using a human in a tracking oh, I, suit of some sort. I thought, but... I, yeah, I assume it's her. I assume they filmed those scenes with her yeah. and with, um, what's his name playing? Bruce, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bruce that, Banner is his name. Bruce Banner. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I assume that they film, I, I, I don't, I haven't looked it up, but I assume they film those just like it's the two actors playing the roles, except for things when they, you know, uh, you do superhero kind of things like throw, throwing a boulder across a, you know, a valley. There's, or but the other thing that's a little weird is that um, when she's in She-Hulk form, she's taller, yes. which means that the actors around, if they're playing with the real actress, yeah, have to look above her head, <laughs> right when they're talking to her. Yeah, well, yeah. There's, I mean, there's ways to handle that, I guess. But it's funny that we both noticed that. I also thought it was funny. I mean, I think, I think, I haven't. Uh, there's another show coming out um, about the about Batman's Butler. Did oh, you see that? Yes. 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 Young, young Alfred or something. It's called it's called something else. But I thought it was funny because it, it, before She-Hulk came out, I was like, oh, so this is where the superhero franchises are at this point. The new things coming out are about Bruce Banner's niece and Batman's and Batman's butler. butler. <laughs> and like, we're, you know, it's like, I, I remember some show. I'm trying to remember what it was, where it was like the real, real housewives. It was like the real house plants of the real housewives of, you know, just gardening <laughs> show about the plants. Yeah, it was a joke, but I was like, oh, we're getting to that point where it's like, let's delve into the butler's story. So, yeah. So to go to the other end of the spectrum, what I did note down for today's Ain't It Cool was, um, are you watching Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power? Not yet. I'm, I, I hear it's good. So I'm so probably going to wait and wait yep. until more episodes are available. The comment that I that I read that I actually end up agreeing with is that um, it feels like the first couple of episodes are um, worlds world creation, you know, setting the stage basically, yeah, uh, world building, and it's gorgeous, right? The they're the they, they've got the big computers on the CGI for this one, right? And okay, they yeah. threw tons of money at this thing anyway, but um, it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm there are a couple of characters that i kind of am starting to care about i mean when, for these kind of epics i really want to um you know have a, a heroine or a hero that i truly can care about and that i yeah. can feel invested in and it's not quite there yet the other thing that complicates it at least for me is that uh, as i understand it i could be wrong but as i understand it this is actually not a tolkien family authorized uh, or sanctioned um uh show mm -hmm. which means it which means that they actually don't have access to uh or the ability to use all of the story elements from the hobbit or the lord of the rings or i think even the silmarillion mm -hmm. um so they're having to 
set it in this world, but make the story about something kind of related. And yet there are definitely are characters that are mentioned, that are present, um, that are directly from like Lord of the Rings and so forth. So I'm not sure, but I, I believe that they're somewhat hamstrung in their storytelling. It'll be interesting to see where they take it. But like I said, right now it's, it's mostly world building. Uh, it's very beautiful and it has some promise. So I'm calling this one a pre-Ain't It Cool with the judgment to be reserved for later. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well as uh, another series that just started that uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, but I'm waiting for all the episodes to, <laughs> mm-hmm. to get there first. So, and speaking of episodes and TV shows and all of that, um, I started watching one called Paper Girls. Um, so I don't know if you've heard of that one. I have not. It is so. It's a. It was a graphic novel or comic, I think. Uh, and it's it's a uh, four um, young girls who have paper routes in 1988, and who would get sucked into a time travel thing, some sort of time war going on, and they suddenly find themselves in 2019. And, um, and yeah, and they're like 12 year old girls with bikes <laughs> and it's kind of neat. It's kind of got, you know, really cool, you know, stranger things feel to it a little bit. That's what I immediately uh, thought of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, but you know, there's time travel, but then the cool thing is it's right away. One of them meets her adult self and there's no big, like, Oh, you know, that's interfering with time or whatever. Nope. They just play it all for, you know, story. So yeah, you've got two versions of the same person in the story right away. And I'm only halfway through the, the first season. It's, it's really, um, yeah, it's really good. It's very entertaining. It sucked me right in. I think I watched like, I just said, uh, what is this? And started watching it and then watched three episodes right away. So does the older version yeah. remember the experience that the younger version is having? So, so far, no. And okay. I keep I keep trying to be like, ah, so to me, that points out that that they actually this is a split timeline kind of situation. Right, right. But then they introduced an element of that there is a memory wiping tool that is oh. used in the time war. So oh. there's a possibility that maybe they're split timeline. Maybe this did happen to that person as an adult and she doesn't remember and then there's all sorts of interesting things and with four different characters they each have four very different reasons either to be happier or not about being in the future Uh um and they've already time traveled again at the point i'm in in the story and it's really it's it's interesting it's good a new fresh new look at some time travel stuff cool cool i'm gonna have to add that to my list yep Uh, Let's see. As always, we have no sponsors, poor us. So instead, we tell you about our own article so that you can go spend time there. My article this week um, is actually basically what we were talking about in last week's episode, what you need to do about the LastPass hack. I won't rehash the details here. We talked about it a fair amount last week. But if you want the written version of all that, it's askleo.com slash 148363. Cool. And I, I'll point to, I guess I, I talked about two of my videos. I'll point to the 1440 displays one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have one, you know, if you want to look it up on the whole Adobe Reader thing. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. Very cool. cool. Well, I think that pretty much does us for yet another week. 
Um, The show notes are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh171. Uh, These large numbers, I'm having trouble. Yeah. You've got a comment or a question for us. As we've proven this week, we read them and we respond to them. Yes. Leave us a comment on the show notes page and let us know. Thanks, as always, for listening. And we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.